Hey everyone, welcome back to the Gary V Audio Experience. Today's episode is the newest installment of Marketing for the Now. This is episode 27, folks. And the question that's being asked is, how do you create and sustain an entrepreneurial culture? We hope you enjoy it, and we know you're going to get some great value out of this. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Welcome, everybody, to Marketing for the Now. Gary, you had some pretty big news drop this week. I did. Lots of stuff going on in NFT land. Uh, seems like big news for many projects all the time. So uh, fun stuff. On Christie's. That wow. Thank you. But I'm, uh, I'm fired up about today. Excellent. Well, we've got one question for today. You can see it right there. How do you create wow. and sustain an entrepreneurial culture? And we're lucky to have first up, the queen of Clubhouse, Swan Sit. Swan has had an incredible career with senior transformation roles with brands like Nike, Revlon, Estee Lauder, and she's now advising her three and a half million followers on Clubhouse in consulting companies and leaders of tomorrow. Welcome, Swan. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Swan, um, let's just go right into the question uh, yeah. because these go so fast, they're only 10 yep. minutes. You know, you know, you've had the luxury of being in big organizations, right? You've had the luxury, especially in your last year and a half, of what you've been able to build for your personal brand with, through the explosion of Clubhouse and the evolution of that, which brings you much closer closer to the entrepreneurial spirit. We, together, me as an executive at VaynerMedia and you, always had a great relationship in the different companies you were in. We never got to go all the way there and work together, but you've been around entrepreneurs and around corporations more than most, which is why I thought you were a tremendous person to start this show with. So in its lamest terms or in its most complex undertone, how, how, do, how do leaders create uh, and sustain an entrepreneurial culture? I have this barbell approach because as you know, I worked at companies like Nike and Estee Lauder, but I co-founded an energy drink called Annie with some TikTokers. So I've got this barbell approach and even being in corporate, Digital transformation is all entrepreneurship. So one of the first things I always think about is in entrepreneurship, people always say fail fast and fail cheap. But if you fail in corporate, you get fired. Right? So as a leader, your job is to take a hit for your team. If you want your people to fail, you can't punish them when they take those calculated risks. So it doesn't matter if you were there or if you even knew about it. When your team gets a hit, you take it for them. You take responsibility publicly. You coach privately because leadership's not a reward. It's a responsibility. Right. So I think that's the first step. If you really want people to innovate and push, you've got to make it safe for them to do so. I think that's right. Talk to me about your gut feeling on how many leaders in corporate environments are great at taking the bullet for their team and then having a meeting and kind of going into like, okay, I took that bullet for you, but like we fucked this up. Like, you know, is it, you know, this is, you know, this one woman's subjective call, but are we, you know, I'm, I'm going to actually think of my number two, but like out of every 10 executives in these big companies, you know, how many people really you think go there? One or two. Yeah. And that's terrible, right? But to be fair, the corporate ladder is not designed to reward that, right? That's right. And I'm empathetic for taking the bullet, right? It's like, you have a mortgage, you have a family, you take that book bullet, it might be the day where your boss decides you're gone. And so it, it's not conducive to that. Exactly. So it has to go all the way to the top. If the CEO says we want innovation, it has to ladder all the way down. But you can't blame people for playing the game that they're a part of. Right. And it's structured to not reward that. Yeah, it's funny. I, I genuinely would argue that the 100% thing I focus on at VaynerX is to eliminate fear because then it creates the environment to give what we're talking about a prayer. Talk to me about the flip side. You were a young hot start executive coming up the ranks. You know, It's probably likely that there's more people listening and watching that are in the structure of having a boss or manager. What are some clever thoughts, some emotional intelligence strategies, some nuances that one can do in empowering their boss to do that for them? Like what if you're, the junior person, what can you do to maybe make a little impact on that if it's not coming from above you, if anything? When you have a cool idea, you have to do the work of analyzing all facets of it. 
the idea might be cool, but have you thought of the downsides? So sometimes I find the bright eye bushy tail comes in with a great idea and hasn't thought through not only the execution and the budget and the process needed, but the potential downsides. So I found when I've done this, or team members have come to me and laid out the plan, not only is this a great idea, but here's all the plan B, plan C that will happen. Here's the worst downside that we could do, but here's the big upside. It's a calculated risk at that point and far less scary. So that's huge in managing up, right? And so then not only if you have an impact within a company, if you can also show financial results, but also show how you develop leadership in the industry, how you become a case study, how you do things differently. That's another halo around that. So you got to sell it in just like any other idea. And then, and then outside of, because you went right to the source the elimination of fear. I think it's, I mean, I'm, I'll be honest with you, Andrea, I'm sorry, I wanna like shut down the rest of the episode. I actually think Swan nailed it, but but that's heady stuff. That's, that's you know, that's the actual answer. Comma, give me some more micro answers. What have, what else have you seen, um, observed firsthand or, or through um, observation of others that also lends itself to entrepreneurial cultures? And, and actually, let me ask you something else yeah. in our four minutes. Let me pivot that. Why do you think an entrepreneurial culture matters? It lets people do their best work. Too often in corporate, when we have too strong of a culture or too, too defined of processes, people fall in and you lose the edges where innovation and drive come from, right? People come in, they check in, they phone it in, and they go home. But the entrepreneurial culture, and it doesn't mean every single last person has to have that, but if you have, say, 30% of your company with that mindset, you start pushing the edges. And with the landscape changing every day, I don't care if you're not even e-commerce, but this last year has taught us that digital is the future, whether it's external to the consumer or internal to the company. And if you don't have at least 30% of your people with an entrepreneurial mindset, you just do the same thing over and over. So that's why it's important. And the thing about entrepreneurship that I've seen now that I'm in a baby startup is people are more individual in a smaller company than they are in big ones. And you have to foster that. So one of the things I've done, and I've seen other people since too, since I started giving this advice a few years ago, is I manage people individually based on their personalities and strengths for all my direct reports. It is a lot more work, right? Of course, we have leadership styles. You have one, I have one, and that's a blanket one. But when it comes to direct reports, I use Myers-Briggs. Now we can debate which framework works or it doesn't. It doesn't matter. Use a framework, but you manage the person the way they do their best work and you get the best out of them. You get their loyalty. You get- that is, that is, It's remarkably historically correct, right? If you look at business or sports, it has been very obvious that any head coach or any CEO, she or he, has always, always been more productive and consistently productive when they're reverse engineering the human. Yeah. I, and I think for me, you know, for people that have that much empathy that are capable of that, what you have to watch out for is a lack of candor. That was my, my evolution going into this next chapter of my career is so, I feel so strong because I've been building up my kind candor capability. I think when you're that empathetic that you're actually willing to reverse engineer the person you can at times struggle with candor. It's a it's a it's a common trait because you're you're leading with optimism and positivity. And what's really fascinating about lack of candor is it actually leads back to fear because people don't know where they sit. And that's where we started this. Final thoughts. You got sixty seconds. What else should people think about with entrepreneurial uh, cultures, whether it's an entrepreneurial venture or a corporate venture? If you're able to do this, understanding that humans have different motivations and incentives is really important. So I can't change a corporate incentive bonus structure. What I was able to do is carve out 10%, and I let the employee choose how they want to receive that last 10%, which was under my control, right? 50% corporate, maybe 30%, 40% team, 10%, what you want. Do you want more money? Do you want more vacation days? Do you want a mentoring relationship? Do you want time for a side project? That little 10% of choice lets that person stand up and say, you see me, I get rewarded in the way I want. And if that works, God, if you could roll out it across a company, how would people be seen and actually work to their potential? Because it's what they're interested in. Swan, thank you so much. Keep crushing. Thank you. Good to see you. Next up, we've got Lauren Milan, an award-winning marketer, entrepreneur, investor, advisor, and board member over her 15-year career. Lauren has advised and invested in over 40 startups that have generated over a billion dollars in revenue to date. 
Lauren is now the CEO of Digital Undivided, a leading nonprofit that leverages da data, programming, and advocacy to catalyze economic growth and create pathways for Black and Latinx women entrepreneurs. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you for having me, Andrea. Hi, Gary. How are you? I'm well, Lauren, but I don't know if you know this. The Met Gala was the other night. I mean, you're bringing sure. I'm impressed. <laughs> you are absolutely, I mean, I'm like slubbing it here. I feel like I got to do a wardrobe change. Anyway, Lauren, let's just get right into it. You know, from your perspective, you've had a lot of, you know, different uh, angles and perspectives with the startups you've seen. You've seen startups mature. You're, you're a woman of the world. So you know that there's a lot going on in corporations and I'm sure have plenty of executive friends and things of that nature. Talk to me about, your perspective on this question. How does one create, and more importantly, sustain, right? Because I think it's easy to create when it's small, maybe from your, your startup investing. What is, what is the reality of the sustaining part once the company starts getting big? You know, I think it's a great question, but I am gonna go back very quickly to the outfit choice because I think <laughs> that we all have to show up because we have to show up feeling confident and feeling like we're on our A game, right? So this is your brand, this is my brand, um, right. but, this is also, but this is also how I have to show up in order to have that excitement for the work that I do every day, because it's not easy work to do, um, as I know you you know well, right? You There's know, the marketing you know, piece. You, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. It's, it, it's such a great point, that's why I just wanted to jump in, I'm sorry, but to your point, we're both doing the same thing, even though it may show up to everybody visually different. I agree with yeah. you. That self-awareness yeah. game is massive, good for you. Well, thank you. Um, but I was inspired by being able to come on and chat with you. And, uh, and Andrea always brings her A-game in the fashion department. So I figured yes. But when we're talking about you know, entrepreneurial spirit, entrepreneurial mindset, I think what is so important is to be unapologetically yourself in so many ways. I think that what often crushes entrepreneurial spirit is feeling as though the outside world is going to reject our idea, call it silly, won't see us. Um, and so half of the battle, I do think, is making sure that you show up dressed in whatever makes you feel like a rock star so that regardless of the feedback that you get, your spirit, your entrepreneurial spirit, your innovative spirit, which normally, hopefully, comes from deep curiosity, that nothing can deter you from that. Because if you show up feeling like, I belong, my idea is great, then you you walk away from that room if you don't get the response that you wanted saying, oh. Okay, you just don't get it. But it doesn't feel like a personal attack on who you are. And I see so many people who are bright, like insanely bright and insanely inquisitive, you know, begin to shrink because they feel as though the outside world doesn't appreciate the perspective that they bring to the table. So I always say- Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, 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 just like however you need to harness that, harness that feeling. Because I think that I've seen so many people get super excited to share something and they get one rejection and it takes away every other yes that they might've seen or heard over, over the years. Lauren, in a world where school structure gives people validation every 90 days, in a world where people are worried about how many followers they have or comments, I mean, you're talking, I mean, your entire manifesto right there is a singular game of the self-esteem versus insecurity framework. How does, you know, a lot of people are listening, you, you drilled that. I think about this a lot because I talk about these things. How does one who didn't have the luxury, I have so many family members, cousins, uncles, my, my family world, the people I know the best, best friends, who didn't have the luxury that I had, which is I can do everything you just said because my mother instilled massive levels of self-confidence in me. How, how does one go from being a person that grew up in an, framework of insecurity now in their adulthood in a professional environment, turn that gear on? You know, that's a great one. And I think for me, I'll answer it for myself personally quickly, yep. and then I'll give some something that I think can be helpful to everyone who's tuning in. Uh, whenever people ask me this question to Lauren Mylan, my answer is always, I went through that ugly duckling phase. I mean, I had <laughs> this, this stage of my childhood where I had braids, braces, a size nine and 10 shoe. I was super skinny. I was everything but cool, but hip. Um, and I wanted to fit in in so many ways. And I think that, you know, growing up, um, learning to kind of reject what could be bullying or any of these other things can very much turn into our superpowers as adults. 100%. I actually just posted about this recently. It's like, 
whoa, I mean, the amount of, of kids that made fun of me and called me one name after the other, you know, was tough. Um, whether that was Twiggy or even, you know, being being called other names from folks, <laughs> being questioned about my 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 blackness. Um, those are all the things that I went through my adolescence with. And I think if you can go through a tough childhood and learn to pull those experiences into how they can be applicable in your adulthood, you garner strength from that. You garner confidence from that. Now, not everyone has that experience in their childhood. So for those people who who do not have that reality, because that was a tough reality. I don't really wish it on anyone either, but I do think that for those of us that that want to kind of sit here and go, oh, whoa, well, me, there are times where we can look back and say, but that, but that made me. But surviving that means that as an adult, I can shrug other things off my shoulders or other Lauren, you know, biases because, or stereotypes. Is that, that because, but, but I, when I hear that, talk to me about the, in you know, so that's the external kid world. What was going on in your four walls? Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, older siblings. Like something was giving you the strength to navigate through that. And then, because I did the same thing, turn that yeah. into the ultimate, I mean, superpower. Like who was giving you that foundation internally? Absolutely my family. Um, particularly across, my across mother. My, yes, but in particular my mother and my father who are both, you know, for, for their families, first generation you know, major success story in their own right. My mom was a model, first black model to do a lot of big campaigns before there was ever a diversity conversation. My dad, one of the first blacks on Wall Street back in the day, so much so that he had to start on the West Coast out of San Francisco because he couldn't make it to the real Wall Street until later, right? So they broke barriers in their own ways and I watched them do that unapologetically my entire life. But I also um, had parents that instilled in me that I was gonna often be the only in the room. And there are a lot of people I think that, you know, looked at me and said, oh, you know, you grew up privileged. Well, maybe in part, but it's also because my parents made a conscious choice. I was an only child. I got all of their resources poured into me, but the result was also that I was often the only in the room. So even now that we're having these diversity, entrepreneurial, inclusion, equity conversations, I've almost always been the only in the room my entire life. So I'm very comfortable in situations and instances that I think the outside world thinks or expects um, me or any other woman of color in, in this day and age to be uncomfortable in. And it's actually where I thrive instead. And so I think that throws a lot of people for, for the okie doke, if you will. But I think it's also part that that entrepreneurial spirit, which is like, I'm here and Are you, you might be surprised that I'm here, but the conversation, the meeting will go on. So to synthesize, the entrepreneurial spirit from your standpoint, framework around confidence within one's own reality is found is the foundational steel and concrete that one can build on top of. I think so. Yeah, I think me too. so. Me too. And I also think that for those people who don't have that experience in their lives, that you learn to do the things that are scary to you and you begin to almost compete with yourself. I think so much of the entrepreneurial spirit is self-competition and self-reliance. And everyone has to do something different to tap into that. With my team at Digital Undivided, I stretch them every single day. And I can tell you, you know, the first time I stretched them on a huge project, on a tight timeline, they were like, we can't do it, we can't do it, we can't do it. I said, we're going to remove can't from the vocabulary and we're going to learn to move things around and make it happen. And yes, it was a stressful week or two, but once we got past that, all of a sudden I look back and I have a different team immediately. I have an incrementally different team that now knows that they are capable of doing what two weeks ago they thought they couldn't do. And not only do they think they can do it, they saw tangibly that they could do it. And then in addition to that, they saw that the outside world valued and appreciated what we were able to do and create together. That kind of you know, confidence, that kind of self-awareness, that comes from, in my opinion, the accomplishment of achievement in itself. And so yeah. I think there's a lot that people want to do. That we meet a lot of people in life that go, I have an idea. But who let you try to actually execute on it? Who's allowed you to actually go implement it? Whether sure. you fail or succeed doesn't matter. But do we actually give people the ability, the chops, the latitude, and the platform to even try to gain entrepreneurial spirit or perspective. And I think we have to allow people to try and we also have to allow people to fail because it's like, I think it's when they fail, you can also work backwards to say, okay, but why did I fail? And in that because moment, it, it might becomes, feel like- it, Yeah, it becomes the data point, the context when you're running- And it might feel huge, but 100%. then you realize how you can solve for that failure. And often when you go back 
and you look at how do you create a solution around where you failed, it's actually a lot easier than when you're in it in that moment thinking, oh my gosh, this can't be happening to me. And I think we have to allow people um, that opportunity to stretch and grow if we want to foster an entrepreneurial mindset. And in closing, I'll say the entrepreneurial mindset is about being able to work within highly matrixed environments. It's also about having a certain level of autonomy to not just do, but to take something from start to finish. And we can't expect people to do things that they don't get an opportunity to try to do in the first place. I totally agree. Lauren, thank you so much for the knowledge. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. Thanks, Lauren. Gary, next we welcome tech founder and venture capitalist, Alexis Ohanian. Alexis wrote bestseller without their permission and co-founded Reddit. In 2020, Alexis founded 776, a new software-enabled venture firm focused on people, culture, and community. Welcome, Alexis. Thank you for having me. What's up, Gary? I'm good, brother. I, you, you, you get your slice of pizza. I see you coming out of the clubs. and uh, Yeah, that was dude, you'll You'll appreciate this. I brought a crypto punk to the Met. On the same day, I saw, I saw the CEO said NFTs would never be in the Met because there's no artistic value. It's entirely commercial. <laughs> and I, it's it's weird, dude. We see this play out over and over and over again where institutions really have a hard time dealing with change, especially when it's bottom up, especially when it's from the Internet. And I don't know how you could be sitting here in 2021, though, and still sleep on this. And yet. Most people, they're in their REM state. They're so asleep. It's why we've always had a connection. It's why we have good things happen for us professionally because much like your much better half on Mm -hmm. our field, Mm -hmm. like she does, we do our thing and like sports, it just Mm -hmm. plays out. It's regardless of what the establishments and institutions say, at the end of the day, the well-executed entrepreneurial Executions mm-hmm. always win. Speaking of which, I have a really interesting question. First, thanks for sure. being on. And I know of a lot course. of people are happy you're on. Um, Reddit, right? One of the Rest. most iconic, important uh, you know, winners of the Web2 era. One of the most important foundational uh, structures in our society around community, which both you and I have been incredibly passionate about for a long time. They won. What a lot of people don't know is that Reddit once sold and went into a big yeah. organization. Right. Yeah, and so, a, you know, I don't, I actually don't know how, how, how close you were to it when the sale happened, but I, oh, yeah. okay, good. No, I so did it. Good. I was oh, the so idiot in who it. did it. Yeah. So, good. so tell me about this. You mm-hmm. and your co-founder, mm-hmm. you know, you create this incredibly entre- strong entrepreneurial company. You sell mm-hmm. it to an organization, a bigger company. Condé Nast. Condé Nast. It needs to live within there. And then yeah. it comes out of there and is now in its current state that people know it. I don't yeah. think anybody can speak to this better. There's three steps in there. The first mm-hmm. and the third step are incredibly entrepreneurially structured. Yeah. And the middle one is corporate structured. So when you yeah. hear that, what's the learning for everybody of like what what happens that's pro or con when you do lose an entrepreneurial framework? I mean, dude, look, I was 22 years old. Uh, I had been working on Reddit for 18 months and I'd struck up a conversation with a guy at Conan asked who eventually was like, Hey man, you want to come work here? Uh, and $10 million was a crazy amount of value for 16, 17 months worth of work. Insane. And at the time, like, like my mom had gotten sick. I had a lot of reasons to, to want to get rid of that existential dread and just make that phone call. Literally the best phone call I ever make in my life was telling her we sold, it's done, money's in the bank. Like this was life-changing Huge. money. Huge. More than my parents had made their entire work and lives like for, for a year and a half of work. It was crazy. But I did not have someone telling me, hey, Alexis, if it's going this well, you should just raise funding. At that point, we'd raise $70,000. And I was so naive. It, we didn't, I didn't, I'd never hired an employee before, had never thought through any of the obvious stuff of business now. And, you know, I stayed at Con and Asked for three, a little over three years. I left in 2010. And, you know, it was comfortable and it was helpful, certainly during the recession and everything else, to know that I had a job and I didn't have to worry about our revenue numbers that much. I didn't have to worry, like, it wasn't a pressing need, it wasn't that existential dread, dread of being a founder CEO again. But when I came back in 2014, 
and it was, you know, the, the company had almost, I mean, only a few million dollars in revenue. This is all public. Like I it remember, was, I it was a tough, tough place. Was, yeah. And, and a lot of the work was then re-educating brands. I mean, I spent most I of my remember. time on planes, right? I mean, I remember coming to you and yeah, like, it's back. It's going to take time, but we believe in this. We have an amazing team. We're going to turn this around. And, um, and that was where I really learned how to be an entrepreneur. Um, one of the early hires there was uh, Caitlin Holloway, who was our v- first VP of people and culture there. She now She's a founding partner of 776. And then Lizzie Garvin, who was chief of staff of the firm, now also with me here at 776. And we got in the trenches and had to do a lot of work to reset culture, to grow, like literally double every year in headcount, to rebuild the relationship with brands, get them to feel safe advertising on the platform. Like the team did amazing work. And I saw firsthand what it took to grow a scale, a, a rapid organization, rapidly growing organization. And I feel like that's where I really look. It's where I got all my gray hairs. Uh, and that's where By the way, I really your, hair, your hairs look really good. This is the best haircut I've seen on you. you. This is a real legit haircut. I got a real haircut. Thanks. My like, sister, everyone thinks it's for the Met. My sister's getting married this weekend and I didn't want to distract with the main. So Samson. Knowing, knowing, knowing you grew up in that same year as I did, a lot yeah. of our friends' companies got real, you know, different they did raise capital. They got big. Yeah. Kevin, started- Kevin did it right. I'm friends with Kevin Rose now. I Kevin did it right raising money. Like, yeah. Talk to me about mm. what you've seen from the outside of, of a lot of our friends, mm. companies that went from three, four people in a Y Combinator, a small company to yeah. 5,000 employees in all your travels with all these people back to the theme of the show. Mm. Where do, where do those founders struggle? Where, what's the common thing where they go, you know, they always say this thing, Man, we've mm-hmm. lost some of our speed, our entrepreneur. They wake up. I mean, Vayner, mm-hmm. I'm fucking, you know me. I'm really in my shit. And like yeah. Vayner at 1800, Vayner X at 18, 1500, wherever we are, 1800, whatever the number is right now, can't be what it was when it was me and AJ in a conference mm-hmm. room, right? What, what, what do you see as the themes or the anecdotes to when they feel they've lost their entrepreneurial spirit? You know, so something that stuck with me that Caitlin told me early into Reddit, this is now like 2015. She said, look, <clears throat> this company is going to double every year in headcount. And every year that it doubles, the culture totally changes. So be prepared for a totally new company and need to do a reset in order to maintain the stuff that got you there in the first place. Yeah. And so part of it is as a CEO, trying your best to stay on top of, and this comes down to values. This sounds like cheesy stuff that my 21 year old self would have rolled my eyes at, but values are the things that if you, if you do them intentionally and you, you really develop a culture around them, they help the thousandth person make a decision as if the founder were in the room couldn't and it's agree, never going to be as good, but it's the best fucking thing you can do. It's fucking religion. Yeah. If you get everybody to understand that speed or kindness or mm-hmm. break things or whatever you put on the, like if you pound yeah. that into the soul, put it on the wall. Yeah. scale, I agree. And, and, and then it is hard, right? As organizations grow, you just invariably get bureaucracy and all this other stuff. But I think where software is going to redefine organizations going forward now is, is a byproduct of COVID and sort of decentralized work. Okay. We have a chance. I'm, I'm working with founders now who they're starting their company in the last year. They've started it as a remote first company because of COVID. And even as they flex back into office, their DNA is around asynchronous work. It's around sort of execution focused work because there's no chance to have gossip around the water cooler. If the org started in a digital first way. Well, the and gossip the gossip can go to slack. For sure, but the there is a the 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 idle culture of being in an office doesn't exist. Now that has a, the right. upside. The upside is it's a you get a chance to be more relentlessly focused on execution. The downside is you don't have as much of that natural kind of culture building camaraderie. Right? Yeah. 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 And so now the work is how do we build I think this new generation of company is now going to look for more creative ways to create that that sort of that culture, the, the, the serendipity of the office, even as they come back now that their DNA is formed in, in, in execution, right? Async, like why bother having a meeting if I can just record a loom video and you can watch me at two X speed whenever you fucking want. And and I I, I think it's like that shift. We just have to do new work now to build culture internally. 
I hate that we've run out of time. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna we have already to run out of time. time. Yeah, these are fast. Here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, Here. I'm gonna hit you up, and we're gonna do a real podcast, you and I. We need to, but I have to ask you something. Is that the first edition, first appearance of Deadpool? Is that a New Mutants comic over there? You are very, 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 very good. Hold on one second. You mean this? Yeah, dude, I've got, that's hilarious. I've got like five of those in my vault. <laughs> we need to talk comics. I love you, buddy. Thank you. All talk right. soon. Be well. Thank Bye. you, Alexis. And thank you, Gary. This See is ya. awesome. Love you. Talk to you Love soon. you too. Next up, we welcome Shelly Haas, CMO of Ulta Beauty. Prior hey, to Anna. this role. Hi, Shelly. How are you? Hey, how are you? We've got Ryan Harwood that's going to be joining us today too. Just a little bit more about Shelly though first. Prior to her role as joining uh, as CMO of Ulta Beauty, Shelly spent her career in consumer packaged goods uh, with companies including Procter & Gamble and PepsiCo. Three things that Shelly would bring with her on a desert island, SPF lotion, smokehouse almonds, and of course, lip gloss. Today, Shelly will be joined by our very own Ryan Harwood, CEO of Gallery Media Group. Welcome to you both. Thanks, Andrea. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Shelly. How's it going? How are you? Good. Incredible introduction, but more importantly, an incredible human. So it's so good to see you. I'm really good to see you, too. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So being the CMO of the largest beauty retailer in the U.S. with 1,300 stores across 50 states, is it's no easy feat. Yet you're delivering record results right now with Q2 sales of almost $2 billion, which is crazy. Tell me a little bit about your mantra. What what you what got you here won't get you there, and how your entrepreneurial mindset has led to your success at Ulta. I think if you asked any of the leaders on my team what my what my biggest go to mantra is, they'd say, "What got you here won't get you there." It, it started when I when I started with the company almost seven years ago. I I came in to change things. I mean, that's why I was hired. So I was like, "Okay, how am I going to do this?" Because it was pretty clear early on that. People were really comfortable in their success because the, the the company was already doing really well, um, but things were going to change. <laughs> and so I just I latched on to that early on. You know, it's the, it's that old book that was written about career and what got you here won't get you there in your career. But I just thought it was really good for us to latch on to that as a as a mantra for the team. And and it's been a mantra ever since. And I'm just I'm so glad because. We've created now a culture of people that think that way. You know, they're always looking toward the future, always thinking around the corner. No matter, you know, if we deliver a $2 billion quarter that's way above expectations, it doesn't matter. What got you here won't get you there. So, so that's been really important because, you know, as I was really growing the team and really pushing people and bringing in new great talent and kind of, you know, really reshaping what this looked like, that, that was really the cornerstone of, you know, now how we think. Absolutely. You know, it's funny, if you create an atmosphere and culture that eliminates fear and encourages ideas from everywhere because employees aren't fearful to contribute freely, then it fosters that entrepreneurial spirit. Totally. It's that idea of like, just go for it. Like everybody here should want to go for it. And if you're just hanging out, it's probably not going to be, it's not going to be the place for you. So yeah, it's just, it, it's just a different mindset, all about the mindset. So you know, when you are looking to hire to get people with that mindset, or at least people you can mold into that mindset, are there are there any unique qualities you look for or, or screen against specifically? I mean, the, the first one, you know, Alexis just touched on this and he kind of said, like, it might sound cheesy because, if you know, you, you said this to your 21 year old self, they'd be like, oh, my God. But values is like the first thing, because I, I think that you shouldn't hire people just like you, except in the area of values because the idea of having like people who are really authentic who care about team who care about culture who care about the values of the company and it's going to be like a number one priority it, that's like ha has to be their deal breaker if it's not there if you don't and, and a lot of that is a gut feel i mean you can try to like scream for that and ask questions for that but it's tough you you get a gut feel about people and you know you said good human being i mean you got it like good human beings that are like no drama, like has to be. Then on top of that, like the idea of being innovative and creative, but more than that, kind of like if you're a change agent, it's about the how. 
you know, especially when it comes to doing it in a values-based way and really getting an understanding for how those people wire. I always call it like wire an organization because it's tough to wire an organization, especially when you're doing new stuff. So the ability to do that um, and, and create that change is, is what I look for in leaders when I bring them in or when I grow them up um, throughout our marketing organization. Totally. I have a fun one here. How would you handle integrating a former marketer into your team if they had been frozen in time for 50 years and now they're coming back into society and they're joining your team, but they were a former marketer? How would you integrate them? I, first of all, I feel like this is a good seed of an idea for a Netflix show. Do you feel like that? Like, I feel like that could be a really, a really interesting thing. I don't know. I, I think, it, you know, to, you have to be on the forefront of culture. And so if you're gone for 50 years, holy crap. Yeah. So we just talked about Reddit. I would say get get on every social media platform and devour it. Get in, get into Reddit, get into TikTok. Like you got to just devour everything that's going on there and talk to kids. Yeah. You know, I mean, talk to the teenagers, talk to the 20 somethings. You know, I have two of them uh, who are 21 and 19. And they're always like, mom, you need to do this. You need to do that. And they, they just, they just know. So, you know, if you're frozen in time, come back and talk to kids. Totally. You know, it's funny. When, when I was growing up, it used to be the older people used to influence change and in decisions. You looked up to people that were older than you. I feel like now in this generation, yeah. the younger people influence the older people more than it used to be. It's super. 100%. It's like reverse mentoring. Yep. I mean, I have a lot of the experience and wisdom and ability to, you know, lead the organization, but I don't have all that. So we got we got to bring those two pieces together to make to make the magic. How do you think consumers' attitudes towards beauty and makeup have changed during the pandemic? This has been a super interesting time in beauty because beauty is really emotional and really um, meaningful. But over the last year and a half, it's become way more of that. You know, the idea of self care and and that tie to beauty. Um, where people were at home and feeling lost and anxious. Um, the self-care routines and not just with skincare, but that was a big part of it, but even with makeup, with hair care, like that whole self-care thing just accelerated even more. And so that's a really interesting space for us. You know, now, now people are um, coming out of the pandemic-ish and feeling like they want to feel new again. So then they're looking at beauty, you know, in, in a different way. It has a different meaning now that people are trying to get to like this balance of FOMO and fo what we call FOGO, fear of going out, fear of missing out, fear of going out, fine line. So, you know, it's really fun to see people engaging in new ways and, and getting excited about beauty in new ways because of what's happened over the last year and a half. Totally. Pretty wild. Well, yeah. I mean, I remember you when we were having a conversation off the cuff, you were telling me a little bit about Ulta's See Beautiful Today platform yeah. that you launched like three weeks within lockdown. How did both speed and flexibility and, and listening to your consumer, consumers contribute to that campaign's success? Yeah. I mean, that goes back to the entrepreneurial mindset, 100%. I mean, first of all, I look back and I'm like, Thank God we worked so hard to get our A-team together, both uh, in, in our Ulta Beauty team as well as on our agency side. Because yeah. if we wouldn't have had that, I don't know, the whole thing probably would have imploded. But because we had that and because we had done so much work on our brand purpose platform, like we're a purpose-driven brand. And the idea of being able to use the power of beauty to bring out the possibilities in every person is our true north and that gave us the ability then to say okay we hadn't planned a new campaign until september but like stuff's going down right now and people need you know something to lift them up and this idea that we could really be the light in people's you know darkness and anxiety led us to the idea that you know beauty's all around us and we were going to see beautiful today and do it together so we just busted a move within three weeks and um, use you know UGC because we can shoot anything, and and that was awesome because it just led to a completely different mindset. We used that platform throughout the year and put out new content all year long, and we did it in different ways, whether it was UGC or remote shoots. It just 
you know, I always say like, don't forget the lessons of 2020 because it taught us a lot about being entrepreneurial and breaking things like you can move that fast. You don't need a brief, like all, all the things that you and I have talked about before. Speed is the game, speed of ideation, speed of execution. It is the game these days. Um, I saw all the news about Ulta Beauty at Target, that partnership. It was super cool to see that. I'm so curious, how did that come to be? How did that partnership allow Ulta to be more accessible to consumers, strengthen the brand, all of it? Yeah, it's a, it's, I just, I'm so excited about the partnership. We just launched a few weeks ago. We have a hundred stores, a hundred store and stores now. It, it really started from the idea that we're an innovative company. Target is an innovative company. We are also two brands that have a lot in common when it comes to the consumer and when it comes to the ethos of the brands. And so the idea of bringing the best of Target, omnichannel retail, 30 million people through the doors every week, Target runs, and the beauty prowess and expertise and perception of all beauty together to make this like retail powerhouse is really where it where it started. And I just like speaking of speed, I mean, this is like we just we just announced this last, I think it was November, and and we just launched like a brand new retail environment. Uh, new dot com experience, like breaking the paradigm. I mean, we we really moved, and I'm just I'm really proud of the experience that we're creating in the store. It's very Ulta Beauty, but it's also very Target. It's really intimate, cool. Like I'm just so excited about what we have in front of us. Andrea, could I do a quick speed round with with Shelly really quickly? Do I? We're already a minute over. You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna have a show just with you guys. Okay, okay. <laughs> we're gonna okay. do it. Really <laughs> awesome. We have so much to talk about. I know yeah. it's so true. All so right. I can't thank you guys enough. Awesome. Thank you, Shelly. Good to see you. Our next host is Zach Nadler, CEO of Vayner Speakers. And we're so excited to have Haley Rosen, the CEO of Just Women's Sports, join us. Coming from a professional career in soccer, Haley has now changed the game for women's sports coverage. Just Women's Sports is a digital-first consumer media platform providing 7 million passionate fans with in-depth coverage of women's sports. And it's been growing 300% year over year. Welcome to you both. Awesome. Thanks, Andrea. Haley, it's great to uh, see you. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thanks for that intro. That was great. <laughs> well, since Ryan cut our time a little short, I'm going to try and uh, jump right in. Um, but before we go into that, tell me, before we dive into the theme, just give us the quick 30 seconds on Just Women Sports. Yeah, Just Women Sports is exactly what the name says. We cover Just Women Sports. And um, it's kind of touched on in the intro, but the whole idea is, you know, 4% of sports coverage is dedicated to women's sports. But that doesn't match what's happening in the space. Attendance is up, viewership is up, general interest is up, participation is up. And so there's this huge sort of unmet opportunity to really cover women's sports. And that's what we're doing. That's incredible. You guys are killing it right now. And obviously, Andrea mentioned it, your background, you played D1 uh, soccer at Stanford. You were a professional soccer player. Um, but today's theme around culture, I'm curious, you know, what similarities have you seen from, you know, working in a team as a culture and then creating a company and building the culture around that. Yeah, I think this is really an area where sports and you know work really, really overlap. And I think there's two things that I think are just hold true for both. One is, you know, knowing, you know, what you're doing, knowing your mission, knowing your purpose. When you're on a team, usually, you know, you want to win the league, you want to win the national championship, right? The goals are really, really clear. So making the goals really, really clear for the company, where you're heading, where you want to go, and in what time frame, I think that is just really critical. And I've seen that really drive culture both on a team and in the workforce. And then second is, you know, empathy. When you're on a team, you can't help but just empathize and feel for your teammates, right? Like you're on the line doing fitness and someone's struggling, like you're giving them a push or maybe someone's pushing you or, you know, you're showering in the locker room. Like you bond and you get to know these people and who they are inside and out. And I think that does matter. And that's, you know, it's tough as you scale, but I think just generally leading with empathy and, you know, treating everyone as people that have their own, you know, hopes and dreams and needs, but want to function as a team. Like that for me, like, is just very clear as day, just in sports and in work. 
That's great. Well, you're certainly speaking our language. Empathy is in our DNA here at all the Vayner companies. Um, and another thing that we have in common, I think, is the passion that comes from our founder, right? Gary is very passionate about the work that we do. And I think you're super passionate about women's sports. And I'm curious, in the, in the world of culture, how do you kind of build a culture around that passion so that all your employees, the entire company feels that same way? You know, Zach, I, this is like a really good question. Um, I don't know, but it's the only <laughs> thing that we've done because I like, I love it. Like my heart is on my sleeve. We are fighting for this day in and day out. We believe in the mission with every fiber of our being. And I think that we attract people that feel that too, that they, they see it on our Instagram or they see it in our podcast or hear it in our podcast. They see it in the way we talk. Like they, they get it. They feel that thing that we're feeling too. And it just has built from there. And I think, you know, as we scale and as we grow, like we want to keep attracting those people and we want to sign them up to be on our team and keep growing that passion. Cause you know, for us, like we're, you know, we're 15 people right now and we want to compete with media organizations that are hundreds of people. Right. And to do that, we're going to have to have heart and hustle and passion. And I think we have that in spades. And for us, it's just to keep pushing on that. That's awesome. And I mean, this kind of goes, Alexis touched on this a little bit about companies today, you know, being together all virtually. You started mm -hmm. this company during the pandemic. So your, your team of 15 people, you're not spending every day together. And frankly, you guys don't spend that much time together in person. So how do you navigate creating this, this culture that you've built while everyone is all over the country? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, we've only known this way. And I think just for us, like this sounds maybe cheesy, but setting up like really good operational processes of, you know, having certain count uh, meetings on the calendar, like from literally just, you know, weekly one-on-ones or monthly one-on-ones, just really being diligent around when do we need to communicate? When do we need to communicate live? When, you know, when does something need to come off of Slack or off of email and needs to be a phone call? Um, you know, and we're learning as we go. But I think for us, it's like the North Star is just empathy and teamwork. And so, you know, something we also say is assume positive intent. So if you're going back and forth on Slack and something's getting crazy, it's like, take a breath, pick up the phone, give that person a call because, that. you know, we're all on the same team. So I think, you know, it's something we're figuring out, but I think getting our operational processes tight and finding times for virtual happy hours as as much as no one wants to log on to Zoom at 5 p.m., like it does matter and it makes a difference. And, you know, we'll keep learning and growing as we go. I love that. And I think like the teamwork you've built, like the, you, your empathy is right there. You said you're wearing it on your sleeve. Like it's 100% in the way that you built this whole thing. Have there been challenges that you've seen around that? Because I love the idea of positive intent, but obviously things can go wrong. So have there been things that, you know, you would have done differently or things that you look forward to doing differently in the future? Yes, <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we've made a ton of mistakes. Like something we also say, and I'm realizing how many things we say now that we're having this conversation, <laughs> but is, you know, we don't have to get it right the first time, but we have to be the fastest to learn. So like we can make mistakes, but we need to learn quickly. And so we have made so many mistakes, like internally, externally, you know, big decisions, little decisions, like probably made two mistakes today. Like, you know, that's part of it. But for us, it's just about learning quickly. And I think, you know, to go back to sports, like something that people say is, you know, next one or next touch. Like there was a, like a thing in soccer, at least when you would turn over the ball, it'd be like, go get it back, go make the next one good. And I feel like that's really kind of a, a culture that I want to bring into, you know, just women's sports of like, all right, maybe that wasn't the right call, but what did we learn and how do we make the next one right? And like, we just keep pushing on that. I mean, just jumping right off of that, you guys have already built this this company. You're 15 people. I know you're growing, and you're competing with behemoths. So <laughs> as you guys continue to grow, how do you actually plan to keep that culture sustained? Because obviously, you know, the more stretched you get, the tougher it gets. So do you have any plans or ideas around how you'll continue to do that? I think having an incredibly clear mission matters so much. There's no if, ands, or buts around our mission and where we're going in this vision. 100%, I think every single person could recite the things I say over and over and over, but I think we're all bought in and we get it. And I think that really, really matters. And then I think also just, you know, from the top down, from the bottom up, I keep coming back to empathy. Like, I just think, I, and listen, I'm, I'm early in these days, but from everything I've seen, it really for us is, it's mission and empathy, like 100%. Treat people like teammates, care about each other, work hard, you know, be accountable to one another and know where you're going. We know where we're going, no doubt. And like, we just got to push to get there. That's incredible. 
well, you mentioned speed, you mentioned where you're going, and I'm, I'm excited to see you guys go there. Um, I appreciate you jumping on with us here. Thanks for your time. Zach, thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Our thank pleasure. you, Haley and Zach. You guys are awesome, amazing. Our next host is the one and only Wanda Pogue, VaynerMedia's Chief Strategy Officer. And we welcome Mark Hans, Ricker, Richer, the SVP Chief Marketing and Innovation Officer at Moen, leading the smart water revolution for over five years. Previously, Mark Hans was Harley Davidson's first ever CMO. And a fun fact, Mark Hans taught pygmies in the Congo how to sing YMCA. Welcome to you both. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Andrea. And hello, Mark Hans. It's so good Hi, to see you again. Nice seeing you. I, I think with that little thing, um, that little bit of information that Andrea just shared, I almost want to go off script completely and have you talk about that, but I'll try and stay very more focused. Than 10 minutes. <laughs> Um, we had the opportunity to meet briefly and, and, you know, had a great chat. And I think you shed such great light on the differences between, you know, being an entrepreneur and entrepreneurialism and intrapreneurialism. I would love to be able to start there, you know, and just, um, what, what is the difference? What is entrepreneurialism? Yeah, this is a, a huge passion point for me. And, and I think it is an important distinction because people fall in love with the idea of entrepreneurialism. And they, I think, sometimes mis, misunderstand what, what you're talking about. They fall in love with companies that are inherently entrepreneurial, uh, which are very rare. Uh, startups or in creative industries uh, that, that are like that. And much more often, the opportunity is within a company that's already well-established. They're, they're a legacy company. They've been around for, for decades. They've got well-established processes and all kinds of things. And people that have been hired to protect those things that, that have built, been built up and, and, frankly, have built the success of the company up to that point. And so when you're an entrepreneur, you have to work within a legacy company to figure out how to make transformational change while also running the play of the, of the company and the success uh, drivers that got them to that point. So, so people have this dream, this fantasy of, well, I'm gonna be in this entrepreneurial culture and it's just gonna be wild and crazy. We're just gonna do whatever we want and it's just gonna grow and it's gonna be great. And, and that is actually a very rare experience. The much, more, the much more likely experience is to be in a larger company where you're trying to do that same thing, but within a larger um, cultural construct that is harder to work within. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that, because I think, um, you know, some people may say, well, it's actually easier. You have the support of an already established organization, but I'm sure it comes with a lot of challenges as well. So what are some of the challenges in, you know, perfect example, a, a Moen, a company 65 years old with over 3,500 employees? How do you inject, you know, the culture um, of entrepreneurialism? Yeah. Well, this has been something I've just been kind of involved with my whole career um, at General Motors, at Harley, and now at Moen. And um, there, you know, General Motors, 100 years, Harley, 115 years, Moen is actually 80 years. And, uh, and all of them have had great successes and yet also challenges and opportunities for change. And the, the issue is really everybody really likes change, the idea of it. But when it comes down to what does that really mean and what does that mean to me if I was hired you know, 10 years prior, and I'm, my responsibility is not to screw anything up. And that's basically what I've been told to do. That's what my job description says is run the play. Please try not to lose. Um, change can be scary. And it's not because anyone's dumb or anything. It's just that this is what they've been incentivized to do. So that's actually the biggest challenge is the mindset shift. Uh, not not because someone's bad or good, but just because they've been incentivized to, to run run a play a certain way and they've gotten used to that and been rewarded for that. And now you're asking to do something different. And the truth of the matter is, and, and there's been a decent amount of research on this, is that within a corporate culture, only about 15% of the people are actually entrepreneurs. People that have the, the you know, the sort of will to, to make more transformational change. And the other 85% are not. Um, but again, it's not about good or bad. It's about you know, how do you change the focus? How do you change the incentives? How do you how do you inspire and also um, enable and not just inspire, but really enable a culture to to liberate more of the power of the 15 percent, not because of the people, but because of what that will do ultimately for the business. 
Yeah, you know, in the very beginning, um, Gary and Swan spoke about, you know, creating a safe environment. You know, do you think that that's important in order to be able to, you know, kind of foster the spirit, you know, of innovating and maybe deviating from what's been done in the past? How important is creating, you know, that that level of safety among the employees and ensuring people feel safe? And then how are you doing that? Yeah, this is kind of the go to thing now because Google came out with their study and talked about psychological safety and you know, I got to say there's a little bit more to it than that. And again, it's it's easier in startup companies. It's easier when you have a leader like Gary who can just declare everything from on high and everybody has to act that way. Uh, when you're starting in an organization that you're not running uh, and you are surrounded by 85% of the people who are not going to get psychologically safe, uh, it's going to take a lot longer for them to get psychologically safe. The ability for you to actually change is very, very small if that's what you're waiting for. Um, it is just, it's just, it's not going to happen because it's, it's just too big of a company to try to get everybody on that same plane of understanding and, and feeling that level of safety to make that kind of change. If you're truly pushing bigger change, you know, nominal changes, yeah, you can do that. And then if you do get a whole team that's feeling safe and, and executing well, they're surrounded by a bunch of other teams that may not be on the same plane. So, and, and you have to work with them. They, in a big company, you've got to work with a lot of different people and you have to bring them along and, and you have to respect their point of view, which might be, hey, I don't want to do that or I don't want to go that fast or I don't want to make that change. And so you have to respect, understand, and then find a way to bring them along in a way that actually might never make them totally psychologically safe. Right. Um, but they have, to, they have to be part of enabling the change or else you're never going to get to the change. So it, it can't be that, that simplistic in a, in a large organization. Um, our agility and, you know, everybody talks about agility, nimbleness, being able to, you know, decide fast, fail fast. You know, how much of a struggle is that like in a larger corporation? And are there any pieces of advice, you know, for still being able to move fast, which is critical, but um, doing it in a way that allows you the time to bring people along, as you were saying, or to, you know, just have due diligence. Yeah, I think people are okay with failing fast as long as they know it's for the it's for the, the bigger purpose that we're that we're seeking. Um, if you're just trying stuff, breaking stuff, trying to move fast, agile that way, but no one really understands why there's glass all over the floor and what what it was for, um, then it becomes more of a feeling of why did you do that? <laughs> why, right. Why'd you break that stuff? Um, so I, I think it really starts not so much. I mean, Agile has to be in service to something bigger that people can understand the clarity of focus, the the big, hairy, audacious goal, to use a, an older term. Um, if people understand what they're going for, then it's a lot easier to be agile and to move. And, and, and then failure isn't so scary because you feel like it's failure in service to something that everybody has signed up for. Um, if, if it's really just moving around, acting fast, breaking things for the sake of, you know, looking fast or being fast uh, without that larger purpose objective, then then it, it probably won't last very long. Right, um, which makes total sense. In terms of um, concrete examples, you know, since you've been at Moen that you might be able to share in, in ways, different ways that you've been able to innovate, you know, whether it's um, new partnerships, new acquisitions, you know, and, um, and any kind of examples that you can give of how you've recently have done it? Because I think sometimes people think innovation only means, you know, creating something new. Are there different ways that you've been innovating at Moen? Uh, well, Moen has a lot of great people at it and a lot of really smart, creative people. The best example I can give you is actually the most recent one, which we literally just launched this week. So I, I, I know I'm not supposed to be on here pimping stuff, but I'm going to kind of do it. <laughs> your question. Um, we had a team inside of our company that developed a great AI tool, and the AI tool was uh, built to recognize faucets. Uh, a lot of times people call into their service center and they don't really know what model of faucet they have. They may have bought the house and not the actual faucet themselves, but they adopted the faucet when they got in there and they're looking for help, but we can't really help them very well because we don't know what, you know, what they're talking about because there's no easily identifiable marks on it. So this Wonderful uh, gentleman developed this uh, and some other folks around him developed this tool, uh, AI rec a faucet recognizer, basically, which is harder to do than you'd think. And because uh, there's always a lot of clutter around faucets and, you know, it's, it's not easy for AI to recognize things that, that, that well. 
So once they uh, final, uh, you know, sort of hone the tool, we said, well, this is a wonderful opportunity to go direct to our consumers and let them know that this is available so that they can have a direct relationship with us. And also, of course, highlight the innovative tool that we've developed internally and, um, you know, focus on, on the great faucets that we, we have. So we, we built a, a great new commercial. It just came out this week. And, um, and it basically features the faucet identifier, the Moen identifier, which is now enabling people to take their phones and take pictures of their faucets and send them directly to us, and then we can serve them better. So okay. it's technology and innovation in service of a brand ideal and in direct uh, service of our consumers, which uh, has not been done before in our industry. I frankly, I don't think it's been done in many industries. Um, so it was not a let's do AI for the sake of AI. It's let's do AI in a way that's really meaningful to our brand identity and a direct relationship with our consumer. And so we're very excited about it and have already had more than a thousand people reach out with pictures of their faucets to us in just the last couple of years. It's been, been pretty cool to see. That's amazing and um, very consumer centric. And I think that's the heart exactly. um, at the heart of everything. Um, last question, um, how do you prevent failure you know, from hindering innovation and entrepreneur that entrepreneurial spirit for the future. Yeah, it's 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 just not it's not being too heavy about it, and not even calling it failure. It's it's just something else we learned. Um, great phrase that I I love is only make new mistakes, and and so you know, all right, we made a mistake, book it, let's learn from that, let's not repeat the mistake. <laughs> We learned it. Let's not relearn it. That would be bad. But let's go make some new ones, uh, and it's okay. So, um, you know, only make new mistakes is, is a real mantra. We've talked a lot, a lot about mantras on this on this yeah. call, and that, that's one for me that always sticks uh, sticks with me. Is um, you know, mistakes are okay as long as you learn from them. Love that. Love that. I think those are great words to you know to be able to part on. Thank you so much, Mark Hans. Thanks, Wanda. As we end today's podcast, I want to give a huge shout out to the people, you know, it's so funny, people that leave reviews and written reviews of this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and all the other platforms just mean the world to me. You've taken an extra 13 to 95 seconds to show love and also give context to people of why this is a worthwhile podcast. So I appreciate that so much. And even more fun, because uh, I think we all love a little cosign or a shout out or a little awareness, uh, I'm gonna have the team give a couple of shout outs uh, daily on uh, our favorite reviews. So take it away, which were our favorites this week? Thanks so much, Gary. Today's amazing review reads, authentic and valuable. I've been listening to Gary V a handful of years now and I get the value with everything he says and I truly appreciate his no bullshit delivery. Thank you so much for that amazing review and to anybody else listening out there, if you leave us a review, you might just get shouted out in the next episode.